year ago, these uh, cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? So what are you proposing? It's simple. Kill the Batman. <laughs> here's my card. All right, so here, here's the thing. There's lots of discussions about, like, the greatest comic book movie villain of all time, and even the greatest comic book movie of all time. The Dark Knight's up there, as is its titular villain, or not titular, but uh, its central villain, the Joker, the, the antagonist. And uh, we've praised Heath Ledger top to bottom, um, and I, it, it, it's going to be like just boring, vanilla, generic as hell. I actually agree that this is the greatest comic book movie villain of all time. It it probably it probably just is. Like there, you know? there are great ones for sure. I'm always going to bat for the all the the Raimi Spider Man villains. Yes, even those um, I actually think are pretty outstanding. Uh, a handful of the MCU ones, you know, I'll go to bat for. Uh, even some of the DCEU stuff, I'm going to bat for recently. But like um, something about the Joker. You know, you can love like Doctor Octopus or the Penguin more. Like, on a personal level. Yeah. But when it comes to just, like, the execution of the villain, this is probably the best it ever got. Um, it's kind of like just like how The Godfather is just kind of like, yeah, that's probably one of the best films ever. Yeah, it's the same. Right? It's literally the same thing. People often say, like, this is the the Godfather of the comic book movie genre. And it's like, yeah, I, I actually kind of agree. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, we can get... A little, little much. We can get more into that later, uh, but... I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it might be the Goodfellas of the comic book film. I can't talk about Goodfellas because no one will ever talk to me again. But okay, <laughs> <laughs> you don't like Goodfellas? No, no, I actually I love Goodfellas. It's just like it's one of those I never need to see again. For it's, oh, okay. it's a personal thing, but it's just it doesn't do it for me. And it, and there's nothing wrong with it. That that's a me thing. But uh, the, no, no, no. I totally, I totally get. When I was, if we go back in time to 2008, Matt, he would be very mad at you. <laughs> but 2019, Matt, totally gets it. <laughs> Thank you. 2019, Matt. Um, yes. But as for the Joker, on just like from a writing structural level, everything the character does pushes our our trio. What would you call them? A, a tree triumph? A tr- triumvirate. Triumvirate, thank you. Um, pushes them to their moral and ethical limits he's really taking the city of gotham beyond the brink of anarchy basically by the end of this every action every conflict dilemma that that is eating the city alive from the inside what makes this so hard to talk about like seriously is the amount of people who have in their bio online i'm an agent of chaos yeah and then they use it to just harass women for liking video games it's Again, like it, it, that sucks so much like, because I think this is such a great movie, and I, again, I think this is the greatest comic book villain of all time. Uh, and truth be told, he scares the shit out of me because the, mm-hmm. the Joker is basically not even a human being in this film. Mm-hmm. He he he's like a demon. Even his laugh, uh, the the horrifying images that he he airs on the news wave when he he takes that that fake back. Batman hostage and then murders him on camera. We should mention Heath Ledger was the one operating that camera the whole time. Um, that was all him for that sequence. Oh, that's, that's uh, great. Man, that's... Uh, but you could feel the air go out of the theater when that scene happened. 
where like you suddenly realized you were not in the movie you expected to be yeah, in. Yeah, th- this was the first movie I saw on IMAX, actually. I actually won a contest, uh, well, because of a friend who worked at Power mm. at the time. And um, I-, I got to watch... Oh, one of those yeah. things. <laughs> I-, I got to watch it at uh, Irvine Spectrum, one of the biggest IMAX screens in the world. So I was just head over heels, excited already. And then that scene happens, and that... That scared the shit out of me, man. Like, he, <laughs> like his, uh, he's kind of playful with his evil at first, and then when when the guy's not looking at the camera anymore and he just shouts the look at me, the way he does it, mm-hmm. it's like holy shit! Like this is this is another like species of creature. This is something that that doesn't resemble humanity. It has no like empathy of any kind. It's it's scarier than the Terminator in terms of not having empathy, honestly, because this one undermines empathy constantly. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a frightening creation and one I do not envy any person having to write, even, even though it's a fictional creature. And again, I don't, I don't want to get into the whole like, oh, well, they, uh, Heath Ledger had to go and like undo his mind to get into the whole character. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that this, the idea of this character being the polar opposite of everything good and like, uh, humane in, in life is uh, a very disturbing thought to me and it's never been more uh, fearfully realized than it was in this movie yeah well I've got a little story to tell oh boy about uh, going back in time to uh, I guess around 2008 um, when I was a very let's just say angry teenager and I was not happy with the world um, and, uh, I decided, uh, my anger should be focused on, uh, creationists. Oh, boy. <laughs> that they were the problem in the world at the time. Um, so let's just say I fell into a circle. Oh, no. And this circle was of, uh, atheist YouTubers. Oh, no. Many of which would describe themselves as the Joker. But they are not the subject of the story I'm about to tell. <laughs> because there was a very prominent creationist at the time um, who made videos about how the Earth is 6,000 years old and how evolution's a lie and all this stuff. And it was basically just repeating, you know, evangelical talking points. Um well, he got let, he got caught up in a little bit of a legal kerfuffle, let's just say, okay. <laughs> where he he abused the DMCA copyright notice on a YouTuber who was known at the time for his uh, science videos taking down creationists and is now known for his uh, anti-feminism videos. <laughs> I will not give a name, okay. but... Uh, he was the hero of this story. Oh, no. Let's just say. Uh, so he was basically like, look, I, g- I got you taking, uh, you used DMCA illegally, um, which is wrong of you to do. I will see you in court <laughs> unless you capitulate to my demands. And uh, this creationist thought it would be a good idea to respond to this. And he decided to respond to it by donning Heath Ledger Joker makeup and doing a Heath Ledger Joker impression for like a 10-minute video. 
where he does do the like the up and down of the voice and the the grovelly with the you know high fancical version and uh it's a little hard to be scared of the joker after seeing that you know what i get it <laughs> which it because it might be the most embarrassing thing i've ever seen in my entire life <laughs> Well, I mean, the, that uh, not not to derail your thing, but that does help. That uh, yes, that, that this these basically insoles, among other fucking fuckboys, have really like adopted this that that image and tried to be like, oh, like we're like as a symbol of power, almost. You know, it just doesn't work. Like you're a fucking loser, dude. Don't be an asshole. Well, could you imagine walking out of these movies and then saying in earnest, "I'm an agent of chaos." Jesus Christ. Like, I mean, especially if you live in the suburbs or something, mostly, <laughs> like, you know, you're living with your parents. Like, how the fuck <laughs> can you be an agent of chaos in that? Like, I don't know. It's it's so embarrassing that it, 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 that's where the real world has, like, really affected this movie, unfortunately. Because, mm-hmm. again, the Joker has become, like, the poster for people living in parents' basements who think that, the reason why women won't have sex with them is because they're just too intimidating. <laughs> when it's really that they're just kind of bad people. <laughs> but, you know, that's the world we live in. Bruce, this is Harvey Dent. Rachel's told me everything about you. I certainly hope not. You once told me that we'd be together. Did you mean it? Bruce, don't make me your only hope for a normal life. You're Alfred, right? That's right, sir. Any psychotic ex-boyfriends I should be aware of? Oh, you have no idea. So yeah, that's just, there's a little, there's an oddness with the real world um, looking at the, when you watch the Joker now. Yeah, thankfully, uh, we have actual human problems in the real world that uh, require actual concern and not just like, oh, that's a really scary idea and some fiction art I like to consume. Um, now I would like to give my really stupid fan theory about the Joker. All right. Every video about the Dark Knight on YouTube has to have a fan theory. So this is ours. There has to be a section. I'm sorry. It's always the worst part. But this movie demands you ask questions. <laughs> okay. You know? All right. Um, well, all right. Let's just say... The Joker's off the first of all, the Joker, when he meets with the mobsters, he's like, What's your plan? It's simple, we kill the Batman. And, you know, the mobsters are like, Yeah, no shit, what the fuck you think we've been doing? <laughs> um But that really is like the plot of every Batman movie up to this point. <laughs> that literally there's a moment in every one of those movies where the villains go, Alright, we gotta kill the Batman. <laughs> Um, but this is a movie where it's not true. The Joker has no real intention to kill Batman. Um, the Joker kind of tries to say that he, he doesn't have a plan, that he's just a dog chasing cars. It's all chaos. He's just doing whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, which is a point people usually use to justify the nonsensical nature of the film. <laughs> Cause the Joker's plan does not make any sense. But if you go, he's an agent of chaos, he doesn't have a plan, then you're like, okay, things just happen to work out for him really well. (laughs) 
which is also not a great reading of the film. But to me, the film is saying that when the Joker says, do I really look like a guy with a plan? What the film is really saying is that, yes, he is a guy with a plan. <laughs> and, all right, I want to walk on some eggshells for a minute. All right, let's do it. Because what I'm, what I'm about to say is, it's going to sound like I'm endorsing a worldview and a point of view that I am not. <laughs> And because it has been an, a point adopted by, again, by people who have the word agent of chaos in their bio <laughs> and who enjoy harassing women and like saying tough in the face of the world's problems, which is the point I want to make is that the Joker is kind of the hero of this movie. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Waffle Press podcast. <laughs> uh, we're No, no, go ahead. Okay, well, all right, think about it. The Joker does a better job dismantling the mob than Batman ever would. The Joker doesn't dismantle the mob. He also dismantles corrupt officials within Gotham, which is a move that Batman never makes. He never attempts to do that. He attempts to use corrupt officials to his advantage. Batman does not <clears throat> seem interested in actually solving the systematic problems of Gotham, whereas the Joker attacks them head on. And one of the things he does is he specifically attacks the wealth of the gangsters, which is he doesn't just try to get the money like Batman does. Batman tries to get the money in the idea that, well, it's not the money that's the problem, it's how the money is used that the problems, whereas the Joker burns the money. He very much destroys the wealth of the gangsters. Which is, you know, a move that is to make sure that not only is he getting rid of the mob, he's making sure no mob can rise in its place. Which is, again, something more than Batman ever did. Batman seems to be trying to replace the authority of the mob with his own authority. And the Joker seems to be trying to destroy any sort of authority. Which, again, leans into his anarchy nature, right? Right, right. But but you get what I'm saying with him being the villain. You at least get that I'm kind of, I mean him being the hero. There's I, kind of a point to yeah, it. Yeah, maybe maybe hero is the wrong word. Not just because the connotation, but because he is the antagonist. But he's the he, he's the co-protagonist. He, he's or but maybe what he's I'm the saying real protagonist. is no. But with what both characters are trying to accomplish, they're kind of trying to do the same thing. At the end of the day, the Joker just takes it one step further. He is not diametrically opposed to Batman entirely. He is just Batman to the extreme. <laughs> Which is really interesting, and that's what I think makes the Joker interesting, is that he's kind of a reflection. He's more of a reflection of Batman than a direct opposite. He's only a direct opposite to Batman's belief in rule of law, which goes unquestioned in these films, which is where I think Nolan maybe isn't intending this, but it's what the film is kind of saying. Because Nolan seems to fall on the side of rule of law. Whereas the Joker seems to be, say that no, rule of law is actually the problem. <laughs> that the systems itself are what are perpetuating the problems in our society and that we need to tear down the systems and rebuild them. Uh, Joker takes it to an extreme, of course. He is a terrorist. Yeah, he's a terrorist, a murderer, etc. But, that, yeah, but that's, a, that's something I have never thought of. And even if that was not the intention of Nolan and his crew, that's a uh, that is what happens in the movie. Like you're just explaining things that happen 
in the movie. So I mean, it's not a. It takes a bit of a turn at the end, but we'll get to that. Yeah, it, it's not. It's not far fetched. I think by the end, it definitely does come back around to that that polar opposites thing that the Joker and Batman are always going to have, uh, or at least attempt to always have. I should rectify that. But that's yeah. I, I mean, I want to watch it again, like soon to to go in with that reading. Uh, also, just because I really like this movie. That, this is the reading I kind of watched it the second time with, which kind of made me like it. So okay, okay. <laughs> and this is what, and also I should point out one of my favorite things in this movie. I just want to jump ahead a little bit, but it points to getting rid of the corrupt officials. But the uh, sitting commissioner is poisoned by the Joker, the acid um, down the throat, which is pretty gruesome. Yeah, I, I was um, I was about to mention that. Like that's fucked up. Uh, like damn. One of the unintentional, I mean, maybe not even unintentional, but like subtle comedy beats of this film is that when when we have Commissioner Loeb's uh, funeral, uh, the mayor is giving a speech about Loeb, which makes Loeb sound like the biggest asshole on the planet. <laughs> I don't remember the words. What, what did he say? That's the thing, because you're not paying attention to it, because like it's all this other stuff is happening around it, but the, the mayor is really going like... As commissioner, many of his policies were unpopular, and I would get tons of calls <laughs> complaining about Commissioner Loeb. And, like, he never, but it never comes around to Commissioner Loeb was good. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's really funny. Um, so, listen for that on Rewatch. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so much else happening. There's that rising tension of trying to find uh, potential assassins. Uh, on the mayor with all those high rises around, like, and I mean, come, come on, okay. Here to, to go back to that thing about like scenes that don't make sense. This is a little different than what you were saying, but like, holy fuck, dude! You know that the mayor was just targeted for attack by the Joker, and you're gonna have him give that speech in the middle of the city. Yeah, <laughs> the well, Joker the doesn't make that doesn't make any sense about this movie. The Joker is a terrorist, right? <laughs> The city should be on lockdown. <laughs> like, have the funeral after he's caught. <laughs> like, it's not that hard. You don't need hard. the body for the funeral. You you can bury it before that if you really want to. But, like, yeah. Christ. Or, no. No, yeah. bury it immediately because the joke will put a bomb in it or something like that. But Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, again, oh God, wait damn, till the guys. Joker... Wait till the Joker is caught before doing this. <laughs> Uh, I will say, though, but give, given that that sequence exists, uh, and it's not really a problem, but it's just like, come on, guys. That sequence, I will get to it, probably contains my biggest problem with the film, but um, we'll get to that. But also, we should mention that the Joker succeeds more than Batman ever did at turning the Batman into a symbol, where by the end of the film, he literally becomes the Dark Knight. And that's because of the Joker. The Joker does that. The Joker's plan backfiring might have been what he intended the whole time. And, like, to be like, that's a fucking level of three-dimensional chess that doesn't make any sense. But it makes about as much sense as anything else in the movie. You know? Yeah, and uh, I think one of the things that that draws Christopher Nolan to this character and... Slightly, just as a producer, uh, of course, to Man of Steel, the DC characters are more mythological than the Marvel characters, right? Yes. They're, they're far more about the symbols, what they represent, uh, 
than the Marvel characters who are very human in their their pros and flaws and and everything. Uh, so I I that one I would definitely say is intentional. Where maybe not beat by beat like you're breaking down, but the idea that Batman, while you know the Batman Begins was his his origin story to becoming the Batman, this is really where he becomes like the symbol of of hope in Gotham, and that is tied to his nightmare journey alongside the joker you know like yes that that fulfills him in a weird way not obviously not not in a positive but like his identity as as the batman the dark knight mm-hmm. and that's uh yes that's that's as interesting and horrifying as anything else the joker does it's, here. it's really interesting the only problem is with this theory is it turns rachel into even more of a prop than she already was yeah it's not uh, it's not, not great but that is just level one of my theory oh my god there's more there's there's three levels holy shit um, man. <laughs> level two is not is not really my own to be honest okay. um you've probably you've heard this one so it'll be easier to explain level one isn't even mine that one's been thrown around a lot but it sent it seems to be thrown around more by people who are like you know, the Joker was right, you know, those type of people. Yeah, that which is uh, not who, what we're saying here, I think. It's which is not not at all what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. I'm just saying he is the hero of this film. That doesn't mean he's a hero. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the same people are like Thanos was right. But um, the next step is that I'm sure you've heard the fan theory that Joker is ex-military. Yeah. Um, that's a very popular one. Um specifically uh it's it's weird because this movie makes a point to never explain the joker's origin and if you look at interviews with uh the filmmakers they all very much say like we want the joker to be a force of nature we don't want to give him an explanation there is no backstory to the joker right Right. they've all been pretty explicit about that Mm -hmm. but because this is the sequel to batman begins you can't help but think about an origin for the joker you know? Yeah, yeah. That the Joker had to go on some journey kind of like Batman did. And ex-military makes a lot of sense because it would explain how he knows all these tactics, all this other stuff, um, how he was able to assemble a team, how he knows how to build explosives and all that. His, you know, familiarity with military hardware. This was then taken a step further by uh, comedian Patton Oswalt who uh, made a Facebook post that no longer exists, I should say. Um, but you can find remnants of it online, where he posits that not only was the Joker uh, ex-military intelligence, but he was... Uh, I mean, not only was he an ex-soldier, he was ex-military intelligence, specifically um, interrogation, which, of course, interrogation turns into torture. Oh. Okay. Which we can very directly connect to the Bush administration. There's a lot of evidence for this in that, you know, there's the famous uh, interrogation scene, the good cop, bad cop scene with Joker and Batman, where the Joker basically turns the interrogation on the Batman. Yeah. Um, it's even before that where uh, Batman, you know, hits the Joker and like hits his head and Joker makes that line where he's like, never start with the head. Like that's very pointed. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. You know, like, that means he he knows interrogation. So, but whatever, maybe he just learned about it. Um, there's also that comment famously where he's like, when he's talking to Harvey, where he's talking about the plan, how no one cares about what the plan is, as long as it follows the plan. Mm-hmm. 
And so he's like, and he makes the very specific comment about a truck full of soldiers being exploded, which is the theory of how some people think he he is scarred. And this is also very pointed with the reading of this film as Batman being George W. Bush. Because um, he basically, you know, subverts Gotham's civil liberties to uh, get what he wants. And that, you know, this movie kind of makes the argument that everything Batman does is okay because it, we need to stop the Joker, who is a force of evil. Not only do a lot of people online agree with this, but uh, I'm going to quote you. Former President of the United States... Barack Obama on the growth of ISIS. Oh no. There here's his quote. There is a scene in the beginning talking about the dark in the talking about the dark night in which the gang leaders of Gotham are are meeting. These are men who had the city divided up. They were thugs, but they had a kind of order. Everyone had his turf, and the Joker comes in and lights the whole city on fire. Isis is the Joker. It, it has the capacity to set the whole region on fire. That's why we have to fight it. So now would be a good time to maybe re-examine Barack Obama's record in the Middle East. And I mean, this may, it kind of makes sense that this movie came out in the year Obama was elected president. Wow. And I'm gonna I'm gonna change Obama's metaphor a little bit, which is that. The thugs were the Bush administration. <laughs> Barack Obama is Batman. And Barack Obama thinks the Joker is ISIS. But the Joker is the fleeting power of the United States as our empire crumbles in the face of encroaching climate change. That one I wish I could agree with. The, the climate change one is... Uh, it, I'm, 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 I'm I, very... I'm, I'm reaching. Yeah, it's a reach. But I'm totally game for a any movie on the planet to kind of approach a story that way. Cause that's kind of exactly what we need right now. Nolan does say the Joker is a force of nature. No. Okay. I mean, Hey man, if it fits, if it's ahead of its time, you know, I mean, we're talking about Batman returns, which is like shockingly ahead of its time. And like the political crises, it costs like calls out. So now I'm taking this a little further. Do it. I'm still on step, still on step two though. For that shit. Joker is ex military, right? Right. But I think it goes a little further in that he might be the living embodiment of American imperialism. Because <laughs> the Joker knows how to infiltrate and overthrow governments. I think that's what the... If the Joker was military, that's what he was. He was part of a secret unit that was not on the books, which explains why there is no you know, fingerprints, there's no details of his existence. There's no birth certificate, there's nothing, because it was erased because he was an off-the-books military unit that was used to overthrow governments i like this there's, a, there's another moment in this film a very popular moment that i think we've all been getting wrong for years they've crossed the line you crossed the line first so you squeezed them you hammered them to the point of desperation and in their desperation they turned to a man they didn't fully understand the criminals aren't complicated alfred we just need to figure out what he's after. With respect, Master Wayne, perhaps this is a man you don't fully understand either. A long time ago, I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones. But their caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones. 
But in six months, we never met anyone who traded with him. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. So why steal them? Well, because he thought it was good sport. Because some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. What is the most important line in that speech? The one my brain always goes to is some men just want to watch the world burn. But I don't think that's the most important one. It is not, you fool. I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you dumb fuck. I'm about to tell you the truth. Listen to the speech again. Why was Alfred in Burma? A long time ago, I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones. That is imperialism. Yeah. Oh my It's gosh. right in the middle of Alfred's speech. And it's the line you're not supposed to look for. And the person who was robbing them for the stones wasn't robbing them just to throw them away. He was robbing them to stop them from bribing the tribal leaders. But Alfred can't conceive of that. So he thinks that some men just want to watch the world burn, whereas that man was very specifically de destroying the system that was driving the imperialism. And guess who ends up really burning the world down? That bandit in the forest in Burma. Did you catch him? Yes. How? We burned the forest down. Fucking Alfred. He admits they burned the jungle Why? down. And what does Batman do at the end of the film with the sonar? He, he burns the city down. That's him. He destroys all sense of privacy. All right, and I'm not even done. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, because I want to say that I think this is a Halloween situation. John Carpenter's Halloween where it may not have been made with these ideas we mind, admittedly maybe more progressive than they were conceived of at the time, but I think the films can still apply these ideals with our perspectives on that. Well, I think a great work of art, which I'm getting very close to saying The Dark Knight is, even though I'm sure someone will dunk on me forever for it, <laughs> great works of art can be interpreted in many different ways. Yeah. There's like right now there's there's a clip on YouTube I believe that just surfaced recently of Stanley Kubrick it's uh, allegedly of Stanley Kubrick explaining the ending of 2001: A Space Odyssey right right and it's in direct contradiction with a lot of what people believe including myself and the point is it doesn't matter because Kubrick did not construct the film to say his very specific take on things he constructed it so you would walk away with different takes. I'm not totally sure if Nolan constructed The Dark Knight that way, but I'm leaning that he might have tried. <laughs> and that we're meant to watch this movie in many different ways. And that it will last for generations because we'll be able to return to it with different ideas as things go on. Because I do not believe anyone could have made this point in a pre-Obama era. But in a post-Trump era, it makes a lot of sense. Fuck, man. Like, again, that begins with my favorite of the trilogy. 
but like the Dark Knight always gets so close and stuff like this. I keep coming back to it and like these conversations like are are, are still so. This is why the movie endures. I think outside of those other circles we've discussed already, but I think that's why it's held in such high regard too from like legitimate filmmakers and critics and you know yeah. people that are interested in these kinds of like like art forms. That's why this movie will be loved by people who don't like superhero films. This will be the one that everyone goes to watch that one. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Well, hello, beautiful. You look nervous. I've seen now what I have to become to stop men like him. The night is darkest just before the dawn. I promise you, the dawn is coming. And here we go. I'm fascinated with these things. Okay. Now I'm about to go to step three, which is me dumping gasoline all the money and about to burn up my own theory. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm just going to say what I wrote down, which is the Joker was an inside job. No. <laughs> Yes! Yes! The Joker was an inside job. What the fuck? Oh my god, you know what? Fucking floor it. Pedal to the metal. What do you got? Okay, so like I said, Joker, I, he's secret military intelligence. He was a black ops unit that was erased from the books for some reason. Possibly because of regime change within our own government that would have made him vulnerable. Well, the Joker... His job is to overthrow governments and establish new authority, right? Right. What ends up happening at the end of this film? No! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. So, the Joker is a mask of subverting the systems. He is not here to destroy the systems. He is here to make them stronger than they ever were by threatening them. Because that's what he does. He turns the city of Gotham on its head and the, the city turns on itself almost, but doesn't go too far. We don't lose our souls completely. We go just far enough, though, to realize that it could have happened. And at the end of the film, Batman takes the fall for Harvey Dent. So... Commissioner Gordon is allowed to illegally keep all the people that Harvey Dent had arrested by exploiting a loophole in our legal system, subverting civil liberties, which then carry over into the next film where the Dent Act Act has been put in place and used to basically turn the city into a police state. And the Batman takes the fall, and the Batman is removed from the picture, which is exactly why the Joker was unleashed. Because the joke, because Batman was in a position to actually threaten the people in power. If the Batman kept going further, the Batman learns from his mistakes. So he would eventually realize that just taking out the mob wasn't enough. He would know that he would have to do something about the systems in power. Well, that can't happen. So we need to unleash someone who does that before he can and is a greater threat and makes people fear the systems going away. So the Joker is either being puppeted by the government 
or he was unleashed by the government. And possibly not even the government as a whole, but a unit within the government. <laughs> I got nothing. I, I'll entertain this one, because that's like... That's a, that's a Mr. Fantastic level stretch, I think. But that's... <laughs> that's... Well, here's the here's the comment I'm about to make that will now upset everyone. 9-11. 9-11 was an inside job. I thought you were just gonna say 9-11. No. I made it worse. Oh, somehow, yeah. But but when I say that, I do not mean that the government blew up the towers. <laughs> I do not mean that it was like a secret plan. I mean that if you look at any, if you read about the history of Al-Qaeda, if you read a book, there's a great book out there called The Looming Tower, which is about how Al-Qaeda formed. Now, I'm not talking about the philosophy of Al-Qaeda, okay? Because that's that takes in the weird territory. Uh, but I am talking about how Al-Qaeda was able to structure itself. Guess who helped structure the basis for Al-Qaeda? Was it the CIA? Yes. In our war against the Soviet Union, we built Al-Qaeda, and Al-Qaeda attacked us. So Al-Qaeda was an inside job. 9-11 was an inside job. That's why these conspiracy theories exist about 9-11. It's because of our inability to reconcile with how American militarism has poisoned the world. And this movie is very explicitly about trickle-down militarism. Both in Batman using military surplus technology to fight his one-man war against crime but in the Joker using guerrilla tactics against Gotham. All right, you saved that one. <laughs> so, yeah, go yeah. fuck yourself, America. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, you, you brought that one back down to earth. Uh, I still don't fully jive with it, but I like where it's at. I like where your head's at on that one. I just solved America. <laughs> I, I don't think you did. <laughs> no, I just, I just am... Infecting everyone with my very, very pessimistic view of the world. <laughs> he must have friends. Friends. And without going too into it, I, without going in, into it, I should, uh, we should mention that uh, Batman violating the extradition policies of Hong Kong is very important and very much fits into my theme. So... But that might—that's another really weak action scene. The whole bit in Hong Kong is a really boring. On retrospect, it's a boring sequence. Uh, I like—I like this everything up, to, and it's not great, but I like everything up to when he breaks through the window. And then it's like, oh, okay, we're just here now. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I—it's goofy for these movies, but I do like the image of him shooting out and launching back into the plane. It's uh, clearly someone's a fan of James Bond. I just one one of the best scenes in the movie I think is uh, the Harvey Dent uh, fundraiser party, mm-hmm. um, which is again uh, a statement about the inherent corruption of our current political system, because <laughs> now the Gotham elite are bestowing power on the Harvey Dent, which is also a scene lifted directly from Batman '89, where. Uh, Bruce Wayne is holding the fundraiser for the Gotham Festival, which has Harvey Dent there, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, so, I believe that's a very pointed... I think there's a lot of pointed references references in these films. Yeah, and no, one, no yeah. one's a big nerd. I, I don't think... Uh, yeah. 
he gets his credit for that either, as well as the sense of humor. He's he's just he's a good example of you don't need to have a you don't need to be constantly showing off your textbook knowledge of all this bullshit. Yeah, he never winks at the audience, but it's it's totally there, and sometimes it's a little too there. But uh, exactly, I, that's the problem. I think it doesn't wink enough. <laughs> um, no, no, you know what? I I prefer that to like the overt stuff that takes me out of the movie every five minutes. Mm-hmm. So that that might be a personal thing, but that's I, I definitely prefer that. Not not everything he does. I I don't need everything to be like Nolan, but just in terms of the mm-hmm. the referential stuff and the comedy stuff, I think. Here's what I'll say: Let Nolan be Nolan. There you go. Let Quentin Tarantino be Quentin Tarantino. Hopefully, he takes better care of people on sets. But yes, yes. <laughs> Aside that, that's a, that's a whole other discussion. And I'll even say this: Let Joss Whedon be Joss Whedon. He cheated on his wife like countless times, Matt. Yeah. Well, what did you, what else do you expect from the guy who wrote Age of Ultron? <laughs> oh, I, I was thought you were gonna go Dollhouse or something because, like, I get but, that Dollhouse makes more sense. You're right, but Dollhouse was so boring, I forgot it existed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, but what I'm saying is, let those guys be their voice. Stop trying to imitate them. Find your own voice and let other filmmakers find their own voice. Just because they make great shit, don't let that be an excuse for them being shitty human beings. <laughs> um, but I like uh, I like the Joker taking over this uh, ballroom. Um, I just like the image of like Alfred just being reduced to a bystander. I just really like that. I don't know what I, I... It's hard to say, but when the Joker comes in and Alfred is suddenly just like an extra in this scene, that's really cool for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, for for me, I like that kind of imagery. One, because the Joker just walking into a place that is all like upper class society, and especially this version where he's just like walked out of the sewers, basically. That's a that that's a really striking image. But uh, I, I think these characters, like like we're talking about when the Scarecrow shows up again, it's like, oh yeah, all this is all one story. All these characters inhabit the same world, you know. And so when all these characters are in one place together. And the, then the Joker shows up. That's that's exciting. It just gets the the wheels of the story turning in a fun way, you know. Um, I should mention that one of the people the Joker threatens is an actual. I'm not sure if he still is, but was a sitting representative on the United States um, Congress. Yes, I mean, he's the United States representative um, who has a cameo in, I believe, all three of the Nolan films and BVS and Batman and Robin. Yeah, he's apparently a very big right. Batman fan. Yes, he he uses his... You know what, though? I'll be honest. If I was a sitting senator, I would do the exact same thing. <laughs> Motherfucked abusing power, I would. <laughs> but he but he actually gets lines in these movies where he's... He, and this he says, we're not intimidated by thugs. Yeah, and then he almost gets um, his face fucking cut open. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm betting, if he's really a big Batman fan, I'm betting he was ecstatic when he found out he had lines in this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, shit, I'd be too. Uh, although I have to talk about some odd scene construction here. Right, Something that's always bugged me. Um, well, all right, so Joker's coming. He's looking for Harvey Dent. Um, Batman shows up. I mean, Bruce Wayne's there. He sneaks away, turns into Batman. Um, but you mentioned there's also a moment in this that I like where Batman does the Batman voice when he's out of costume. <laughs> <laughs> he does it to Rachel, um, which is interesting. Uh so this this movie, this scene opens with everyone's at the fundraiser. No one knows where Bruce Wayne is. Suddenly Bruce Wayne arrives on a helicopter with three, um, three gorgeous models, right? Right, right. 
Um, and everyone's like, oh, but now that helicopter's in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. So you're like, that helicopter's going to come into play. Joker shows up, terrorizes the party, takes Rachel hostage, um, throws her out a window, and Batman dives after her and saves her, which is a really awkward moment. And it ends on a really awkward joke, which is, let's not do that again. Yeah, that right? one doesn't really work for me. And also, the way that happens, I even remember like being in the theater and being like, how did they survive that fall? <laughs> Which I don't think really makes sense. Maybe there's some science to it. Maybe if you tuck your body in a certain fucking way, if you have the Batman Kevlar or something. Uh, no, 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 no. Can... It's established in the first film that the the Bat Cape is like that that microfiber that can kind of shift and shape and form and whatever. And I so guess they they do need to work on on. They should have worked on that scene a little bit more, I think, and like show it like struggle to open up maybe at the last second or something. But I, I think mm-hmm. that was the implication. It's just not explained well visually or so i just want to but that so that's a little weird and it's a weird place to end the scene because we end the scene with the joker still in the party we never get a resolution of that so i just want to point out something that nolan teed up and then never used which is really weird to me which is that helicopter have the joker steal the helicopter that's how he leaves the party that would be kind of fun then you see them like, from the, the Street View perspective? Yeah, you, the Street away. View, you see the helicopter leaving. And then, during the chase scene later, when they crash that other helicopter, you could bring that helicopter in. You could use it during that chase sequence. Oh, okay. And now there's, like, Joker, like, paint on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, it's so weird that there's that, that helicopter is so, like, focused on, and they don't do anything with yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's a little odd. Uh, I just want to jump ahead to the next, I guess, action, quote-unquote, scene. After Gordon, quote unquote, dies, uh, which which did shock me because I forgot that they show him in trailers. Before we go into that, I, I do want to talk about the the um, Gordon dying. Okay. Which I will say might be the weakest moment of this film. Oh, that's interesting. Because you because you know he's not dead. I forgot. I was so into the movie when I first saw it that I genuinely forgot, and that doesn't what are usually you happen to me. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, they got me. I was like 14 when I saw this. I knew he wasn't dead. It's just, it's like, it's one of those things where you're sitting around going, how long are they going to play this out for? <laughs> like, and that's where I want to make my other comparison with the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Which is the Dark Knight is basically the last Jedi. <laughs> what? Because the last Jedi... A movie that is accused of having tons of plot holes. <laughs> the Last Jedi does not have a ton of plot holes. The Last Jedi has a lot of plot contrivances. There is a difference. <laughs> and a contrivance is only as important to you as you make it. And the Dark Knight is full of many contrivances. <laughs> the biggest in the Dark Knight being Gordon faking his death. And The Last Jedi has a comparative contrivance, which is Leia being in a coma and the slow chase scene, which is basically, I think, the biggest problem people have with The Last Jedi. You know? Mm-hmm. And I want to say, so I'm saying here that Gordon faking his death is my biggest problem in this movie. I will contend that the setup of The Last Jedi is probably the weakest thing about it. That setup 
of, oh, they're in this slow motion chase is a weak setup. I'm willing to contend that. But who gives a shit? Because <laughs> the moment you ignore it, the movie works. And if you play with what the movie is trying to say, it is so rewarding. So who gives a shit about how contrived that setup is? That's what I'm saying here. I'm saying that I think the Gordon thing is really weak, but is a contrivance I'm willing to live with for the film's greater point. Okay. okay. It is the greater good of this film. But that that whole truck chase action scene, uh, the tee-up to Gordon revealing that he's still alive as the truck driver, I think that might be the sole... Not, not so sorry like, to just jump away from your point immediately uh, that I liked... But I think that's the sole like good action scene in the film, and it's not doing anything fancy. And chase scenes usually bore me uh, with car chases mm-hmm. specifically. But I, I think like stuff like that giant truck flipping over, which is just like even now I'm like, ooh, that's fun, you know? Yeah, I do. I do think that this chase is pretty fun. Although the you can't really do a chase on Lower Wacker Drive after the Blues Brothers. <laughs> I'm sorry. One thing we should point out about this chase, though, is that, you know, Gotham's a fictional city. It's a, it's Chicago in this. They basically just filmed Chicago. Yeah. But it's a fictional city, a city where we that we do not know the geography of, and we never really get lost during the chase. That's a testament to the filmmaking quality, I think. Yeah. When the Bat Pod comes out and Batman's kind of, like, swooping in and out of places, you never, like, lose a sense of what's happening, you know? Yeah, you, you recognize where everyone's trying to go. You don't know how they're going to get there, but you understand the the directional motivation, the character motivation. Uh, there's some fun back and forth with, like, the Joker design on his truck, the laughter that turned to slaughter. Uh, I really like It's just an S, but I, I like that the a lot. The Joker set a fire truck on fire. Uh-huh. Cue Alanis Morissette's irony or whatever. <laughs> And uh, something I haven't mentioned, Wally Pfister shot all three of the Nolan Batman films. And he does gorgeous, gorgeous work here at, at, with the night sequences and the, uh, well, the whole thing. But, like, the dusk, at, there's he captures, like, this really striking purple-blue over the city that I really like. It does go for this, it does go for this, like, dirty, grounded, like, post-9-11 look that a lot of films tried to imitate. But this film is much more dynamic than a lot of the imitators are. Um, and I don't think people appreciate that enough. There is a color design to this film, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like... whereas, whereas a lot of films like Suicide Squad, for example, just kind of turn into like brown and gray um, for long, st- for basically the whole movie. <laughs> and sometimes bluish gray. Yes. Yeah. And this one does, of course, it's, it's mostly in Chicago, like we just said, but uh, it captures color very well, even like... Little things, like when they're indoors with the little yellow hues, when they're warmer and more comforting. Uh, the isolating blues uh, after, of course, Rachel bites the dust. Uh, or when Batman's looming over the city. You know, that, that, that sharp Michael Mann-style sky that's got going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really great, great stuff going on with the cinematography here. Um, another thing I should point out about this chase scene is that Batman definitely killed that garbage truck driver. yeah. We should talk about that a little bit really quick. A lot of people die during this chase. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Batman, Batman definitely kills one of them. 
Might have killed two. It's a little weird when he flips the truck of people not in seatbelts. <laughs> and then we immediately follow up with the scene where he won't kill the Joker. It's a little little weird. Yeah. Um, but hey. Also, I gotta say, that one of the... Watch this scene again. It's one of the weirdest shots in the movie, but... So they're closing all the streets, right? Because they're going to transport uh, Harvey Dent to uh, prison, right? Because he has taken the fall for Batman. Yeah. After possibly the worst line delivery in any Batman film. Oh, no. Which one are you talking about? No more dead cops! The Blue Lives Matter guy. (laughs) Fucking... Yeah. (laughs) Um, He would end up dying in Dark Knight Rises. We don't see it, but I'm convinced that that happens. um, Oh, no. He died just as a heart attack from, like, hot dogs or something. (laughs) (laughs) He finally succumbed to his battle with alcoholism. (laughs) And he, but and he also he died before he could get home in time to beat his wife and children. I I didn't want to go there. I thought about it and I was like, nah. Go fuck yourself, everyone. No more dead cops. Like my joke, Diego. The night is darkest just before the dawn. That's a pretty dumb line, though. I don't like that line. Uh, no, no. You know what? Um, two, two. That's things. not true. Aaron Eckhart. Uh, doesn't get his credit in this movie. He he's yeah. he's picked some not great movies to work on, but he's he's a consistently good actor, and he's really good in this. He did not snowball this into a better career. No, and that's that's too bad. But he's still working. Anything could happen. Um, yeah, um, I like him. He's maybe not a leading actor, but he's very good in this. Yeah. Matt Damon but, uh, was almost Two Face. Oh, that could have been something. Yeah, you know what? That would have worked. I'll be honest. Holy shit, I kind of want that. <laughs> oh man. That would have been know what really Matt Damon, You know who Matt Damon should have been? I'm scared. No more dead cops. <laughs> <laughs> and he inexplicably does it in his Boston accent. Oh my god, no, that's not Damon's other career. He just shows up in one bit cameo roles <laughs> in superhero movies. As guy from Boston. Even even in Thor Ragnarok, he's just like a guy from Boston. <laughs> yes, he doesn't do it in Thor Ragnarok, but he should have. <laughs> he should have given Loki a Boston accent. It would have been amazing. I actually give. A, I want to give a special shout out to a Maggie Gyllenhaal as Rachel. Again, her character is a prop, but she's actually pretty good in this. Yeah, I really like her in this. Uh, I, I I like her in a lot of things. She's she's great. She gives she gives enough heart to the character that you don't realize she's a prop until she's dead. <laughs> That's an unfortunate circumstance for the writing. But no, she, you believe, even though she was played by a different actress, the character was a different actress in the previous film, like you really buy the history between her and Christian Bale's Batman. And it's possibly because of Tom Cruise that this recasting happened. Yeah, that's, that's, that's always been skeevy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Look in, look up, uh, look up Tom Cruise. Thank you for smoking. There's a story there. No more dead cops! Well, we can really jump ahead to like yeah, let's you know because we're we're going long for this one. Well, yeah, we're we're almost, we're, we're getting to the end. We get we finally get to uh, the Joker. He he wanted to be captured. That's a pretty dark scene with the bomb in the guy's stomach. Yeah, okay, so that's when I was like a teenager. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Even though I was scared of the Joker, now I'm even more scared of the Joker. And now I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? That is a, that's, that's really a way to go. Like, that's like Fincher esque. Like that's really fucked up. Yeah, man. Like, oh my god. It wasn't just inside him. They cut it 
I cut him open and put a bomb inside him. What the fuck, man? Like, that's yeah. crazy. This is PG-13. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's probably it's probably the darkest thing. In the, the, you know, although the pencil trick is pretty intense when you think about it. They, they just don't show any blood. Yeah, I think mm. just the image of the bomb, too, in his mm-hmm. stomach is just like, oh, man. What the, the MPAA doesn't give a shit if you don't show blood. Yeah, which is, uh, like, come on, guys, what the fuck? Which is, there's a reason why the director's cut of BVS is bloodier. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Honestly, it's a sad state of affairs that the director's cut of BVS probably could have gotten a PG-13 with lesser blood. I want to point out that one of my favorite things ever was watching this movie in theaters. I think this was maybe like the third time I saw it. And Harvey Dent's been scarred. He's in the hospital bed. He's talking to Gordon. And I I swear, not they're not showing him, right? Mm-hmm. It gets all the way to when he finally turns and faces Gordon and they show it. That a guy in the back of the theater went, holy shit, it's Two-Face. <laughs> that's amazing. That, that that happened. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, it's a different, different time. One character we kind of uh, brushed over was uh, the very memorable Coleman Reese. Who uh, he finds out that uh, Wayne Enterprises is funding the Batman and tries to blackmail, um, tries to blackmail uh, Lucius Fox. And this is where the film kind of tips its hat in a direction that doesn't fit my theory. Um, because Coleman Reese goes on television, he's like, "I'm going to expose who the Batman is. It's my, it's, it's uh, the right thing to do." Um, you know, a lot. There's a lot of people online who consider Coleman Reese to be this film's universe analog to the the Riddler. I I think I remember hearing something like that. But there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fanboy discussion about it. Yeah, I don't buy I don't, it either. Yeah. Um, but I, I just felt like pointing it out because it's something. Uh, Coleman Reese is going to do that, and then when Coleman Reese's life is threatened, uh. He he is saved by Bruce Wayne, and he realizes, like, oh, Bruce is actually a good person, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, that kind of hints at, like, sometimes there's good billionaires. <laughs> like, that's a problem. I think when it comes to, like, this fictional entertainment and art, there is obviously, um, like, a barrier between fiction and reality. So, like, I can kind of not – or maybe overlook. Actually, I'll just say overlook um, – this very specific circumstance of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I just think that there's built into the Batman character is a flaw that will never make him a, a true hero. Shit. Although, we can go into that in The Dark Knight Rises, but there might be something to that there. Maybe, but I'm not sure. I'll have to rewatch it. Like, well, uh, we're almost know, there. I, I have opinions, but... Um, what I'm saying is I think Batman being in a position of wealth and power kind of deflates a lot of his character. That I think we will not we will have to see a radical change to Batman as society changes in the next century. Whereas I think Superman will always be eternally Superman. Because Superman is a is a happenstance. He's he is just all powerful, you know? Mm-hmm. It's what it's really a question of what happens if someone's all powerful and all good. That's really the question. Um, he's not a really a deep exploration of power, Zack Snyder. Um, but that's a whole other thing. Oh, we'll we'll fucking get there. 
I want to point out, though, I love Heath Ledger's delivery when he calls uh, the Gotham News Station while Coleman Reese is on. And he's like, If Coleman Reese isn't dead in 60 minutes, then I blow up a hospital. I don't know. I love that delivery. It's, no, it's, I mean, his whole performance is like, Every little facial tick, his his little dialect inflections, his physical movements uh, are just, like, so interesting to watch. Like, how did he think like that? Like, oh, my God. it's It it feels like the iconic Joker now for live action stuff for, I think, very good reason. And also, unfortunately, could never really be reached without uh, another Heath Ledger. And that's just not going to happen. So I think we should stray away from that eventually. But, like, it's really easy to see why it's the standard, I think, for a lot of people now. If you want maybe an idea of where he got it from, look up Tom Waits on Fernwood tonight. I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. (laughs) He's definitely doing a Waits impression. And he was working at Tom Waits around this time. Oh, really? So... Well, yeah, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, which would be his last film, um, where... Uh, Tom Waits plays the devil. Um, I do want to say also that I, I love uh, when you see Coleman Reese's face, like just like sink into his body as the Joker's talking over the the newscast. Well, I just want to mention we should mention the Joker gives his whole speech on chaos, um, and that's a, it's a really important thing to understand. I don't want to go too into it. There's probably better videos that go into the nature of chaos and how man responds to it. <laughs> And whether or not chaos is the norm, and that's that we really do live in a chaotic universe, or if there is order to the universe. And frankly, I think both options are kind of scary. <laughs> um, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, we have the whole fairy sequence, um, which is interesting. I want to say, though, this movie ends with a setup for a Batman movie that we unfortunately didn't get. Um, I, I don't want to show my hand, but yeah. Um, part of it is that, because at the end of this movie, Joker does a trick where he, uh, he ties up the hostages and dresses them as Joker thugs, and then his, his goons are really the hostages, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, his, yeah, his goons are disguised as hostages, so Batman has to go in and beat up the police so they don't kill innocent people. And it's part of what feeds into what, where we end the movie where Batman takes the fall, where Batman is now a criminal. He's the outs- He has become the outsider via the Joker. And it's entirely plausible to think that that was the Joker's intention the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. It's, it's that line between someone who says, do they really look like a guy with a plan, and a guy who totally looks like a guy with a plan, you know? Yeah, I, but I, what, I, what I'm saying is I think it's a setup for a movie where Gordon and Batman would have been put in direct conflict. And we didn't really get that film, which I'm a little disappointed in. I am too, especially with these versions of the characters. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Gary Oldman, I said, he, or I think even said, like, that's where he thought the movie was going to go. This is before Dark Knight Rises was even going to, like... Written. I'm willing to bet they at least entertain that idea, and that's how Bane ended up becoming the primary villain. Because... In the animated series episode, Over the Edge, um, Gordon teams up with Bane to stop Batman. I remember that one. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, And I should also point out a parallel. Like uh, The Last Jedi, this movie has an amazing climax where the Joker and Batman finally face off. It's a movie that I love that it's a climax built around a bomb not going off. 
which is so rare these days. Mm. And it's incredible. We're, we're left with the Joker's maniacal laughter. And then the movie goes on a little longer. <laughs> it does, but honestly, everything after the the truck chase and the, uh, actually Rachel's death, everything after Rachel's death and Bruce and now for talking and then the, we burnt the forest down, cut to Harvey Dent, mm-hmm. uh, does feel a little long to me. I don't know what you do to make that shorter. I think it's just the movie is basically pushing so many buttons and doing so much that it is a little busy and a little exhausting, but it's all good. I, I don't, I, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm criticizing it. It just is a lot. I, yeah, I, I, I just, I didn't feel the length until we got to this last scene with Harvey and uh, Gordon and Batman, which honestly, it almost feels like a scene that they like shot at the last minute. There's something really lazy about this climax. Uh, compared to how like, the rest of the movie's directed, it does, it feels a little more, uh, less, less guided. We should talk about how David S. Goyer's original idea, he wrote the first draft and then Nolan and his brother came in and did subsequent drafts. Oh, thank God. The original idea was that this movie would end with Harvey Dent being disfigured, and then the next movie, Two-Face, would have been the primary villain. Um, but Nolan decided that, no, we have to end it this way so we can have a thematic ending, because the Joker doesn't have an arc. So they made the arc Harvey. I, I actually love this, this last bit. Not, not just the ending I like the, the idea, kind of. Uh, I mean, cause, cause if you look at like your triage, <laughs> triumvirate, triumvirate that was established in the first act, uh, regardless of what it's, it's representing, it's about three men trying to make their version of Gotham better. The no, past. it's great that they all kind of came back together like mm-hmm. this. And at the end of the day, this movie ends this this huge two hundred million dollar Hollywood production ends in a shitty room with broken people who just look back at the last week of their lives and say, "What the fuck happened?" There's more to it than that, but I mean, that's really kind of what the scene is 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 about, you know. I just got to point out two things that are really weird about this scene to me. Okay. Um, he starts. Two Face flips the coin. And to, to decide everyone's guilt, right? Right, right. Um, and he's gonna, he'll, he shoots Batman, right? Because Batman's guilty. What the fuck did he think was gonna happen? It's fucking Batman. Of course <laughs> he's wearing something bulletproof. What was he thinking? <laughs> like, that's really weak. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's like, if he, it might have worked if he was like, I'm going to save Batman for last. <laughs> kind of in a, like, uh, blood test scene in the thing kind of way. But, um, <laughs> no, no, you know what? In the back of my mind, because I remember uh, Lucius Fox saying, like, oh, like makes you more susceptible. The new armor makes you more uh, susceptible to knives and bullets. So in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, that is, it makes him... More yeah, but it's uh-huh. just just watch how it's edited too. It's not the best. Batman just kind of slumps over, and you're like, "Wait, did he just shoot Batman?" That's kind of what your mind thinks, <laughs> and then you get confused. And the movie hopes you're not really thinking about it too much. And also, I just gotta say, it's a little weird that we've been spending this whole movie where the Joker's like, "You gotta break your one rule. You gotta kill me," and Batman won't do it. The whole movie's like, "I'm not gonna kill. I'm not a murderer." And we can point out all the people that he probably inadvertently killed, but yeah. there's just there's all this stuff. And then 
he just lets his friend Harvey die. He kills Harvey Dent. And here's why I'm completely on board with the way that this goes down. Because in the end, the Joker does win. He gets Batman to kill. He doesn't kill the Joker, but he kills Harvey Dent. And again, we have to kind of bypass all the other people that he may or may not have incidentally killed along the way. Like that garbage truck driver who's definitely dead. Like, again, when I thought, when I, for the first time I saw it, when I thought that he killed Gordon, I was like, oh, well, yeah, Batman's going to be pissed. Of course he's going to just be like, fuck everything, right? And then after I was like, uh. There's, there's also a scene in this movie, I got to point out, going back a little, where Batman throws uh, the guy off of a fire escape and breaks his legs and tortures him to get information. Mm-hmm. And then he finds Harvey interrogating someone. And he's like, Harvey, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, dude, what you're doing? Yeah, but the, the idea is that because he's Batman, he, he's, uh, he's putting himself on a different like pedestal. He's, or he's putting Harvey yeah. on a pedestal. You but know, all like, Harvey needed to say was, I learned it by watching you. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that might have been an interesting discussion. That might be the point, yeah. but I don't know. It's a we- this movie ends on a bit of a weird note. I think part of what makes it weird is the follow-up, which seems to be more of its own movie than a follow-up to this movie. Uh, yeah, kind of. Dark Knight Rises seems more like a sequel to Batman Begins, and this seems like an like it's a standalone movie. I'm going to save my stuff for Dark Knight Rises because I, I know I'm not going to forget some things I have to say about it because we've already been going way too long on this one and I'm going to kill myself editing it. But I'm not disappointed with it because we talked about a lot and I actually like it even more than I did when we, were, we started t- this conversation. Uh, but I do hey think now. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree with the ending. I, I actually do like how that plays out. Maybe not, not all of it. Like maybe I'll catch more of the editing stuff you're talking about. But the idea that the Joker did break the Batman and force him to kill uh, someone he who he was starting to idolize, basically the Batman, mm. you know, like that's a big statement, and that his transformation into the Dark Knight of Gotham City, uh, I, I've I love the ending that Batman Begins more. I think that's like the peak Batman ending. The I never said thank mm. you. You'll never have to. But this is an easy runner up for me. Like goddamn that whole last little monologue. Uh, uh, Gordon gives as we're cutting around the city in the aftermath and destroying the bat signal. Uh, that's like, that's just extraordinary. I just worry that it's kind of forgiving Batman's sins a little too easily. It's, it's, you know, it's the empire strikes back problem of it's like the perfect setup that you can't really follow through with. Like return. I love return of the Jedi. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but it's not exactly building off of what was set up at the end of empire strikes back. Not to the length that, the, the films end on. I think they, I think both films do, but not in a way that fully capitalizes on it either. I also think Spider-Man 2 has this problem. Spider-Man 2 definitely has that problem, but Spider-Man 3 yeah. is, a, is a whole different other, like, bag of snakes or whatever the fuck yeah. terms. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that was The Dark Knight. Yeah. You, you all know stuff about it now. Because we, we shared it all. No one's ever made a video or a podcast about Christopher Nolan's Batman film, The Dark Knight. So it's a good thing we did. I hope you've learned today that 
bad takes are like gravity. All it takes is a little push. Matt Garingo, thank you for joining me. Uh, I don't know what the fuck that was, but where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com and YouTube. And I have a Patreon, in case you Yay. want to give me a dollar. Yay, and you can find me at Twitter.com slash the Diego Crespo. I changed it. I have to go change a bunch of more recent podcast things to make it more up-to-date. But that's it. Uh, you can find everything else, everything I write on Twitter.com. Check out the rest of the Waffle Press. Like and subscribe. If you didn't like this, like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. This city deserves a better class of criminal. I'm gonna give it to him. No! You'll see. I'll show you. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain.